there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to continue with our series called Oh Death, which is somewhat of a morbid series. I definitely understand that. Um, And we've kind of walked through the hard parts of the series, if you will, right? So we kind of started the series out talking about the fact that uh, a newsflash that you're going to die physically. I'm going to die. Someone said there's two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. I've paid my fair share of taxes and eventually I am physically going to die. I'm going to cease breathing, cease being. And then we talked about the fact that for some there is what the Bible calls the second death. And it wasn't a pleasant subject, the eternal death, this this terrible place uh, called hell. And we we talked about where are the dead now, and we we tried to hammer home the point that we have to decide on this side of life whether we're going to follow Christ, that there's no do-overs after we die. And so we've really navigated through some tough, tough stuff, Uh, things that make rooms in churches. They don't grow churches. People don't like to talk about the, the bad parts of the Bible. It's like a kid. My daughter used to like Beauty and the Beast but she would only read the good parts, and I'd had to skip over the bad parts. Well, uh, that's part of the Bible, and so we, we tackled the subject of hell and what a terrible place it, it, it is. Uh, today and next week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about heaven. We want to end this thing on an up note, and uh, <clears throat> full disclosure, uh, I was supposed to end this series today, uh, but I kind of had a buffer week, so next week I'm going to end it. Otherwise, uh, I would pr- be preaching an hour-long uh, sermon, and I don't want to do that to you. So we're going to break it up into two segments. So for the next couple weeks, uh, we're going to talk about uh, heaven. <clears throat> now, there's a, a really old sermon illustration that many of, you, many of you may have heard. It goes something like this. <clears throat> One night, a a grandfather out in the country was with his small granddaughter. And, you know, they're way out in the country uh, where the city lights uh, aren't, you know, in the way. And it was a cloudless night. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And as they were walking, they looked up and the stars were just beaming. I mean, they were as bright as they could be. They were magnificent. And as the grandfather begins to name certain stars and point them out and begins to point out the different constellations, he's interrupted by his granddaughter, uh, the faith of a child, who just simply says, Grandpa, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think about how wonderful the top side of heaven might be. You know, the Bible talks about heaven a little bit, and heaven is this wonderful place that we all strive for. It's a place we, we hope to be. It's a place our hearts long to be one day with the Lord. <clears throat> I didn't grow up in church, but my grandparents every year would send me to church camp, uh, Tri-State Christian Camp in Strasburg, Virginia. Uh, and I'll never forget, uh, we used to, the highlight for me was the campfire. And we'd sit around this little campfire and, and some little youth minister would have his guitar out and start singing songs. And uh, as a kid, I remember this song uh, that we used to sing. It was called, Heaven is a Wonderful Place. And the, the chorus goes like this, Heaven 
is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. And then we would shout, I want to go there. And uh, I'll never forget that. Well, today, as we talk about heaven, we're going to talk about it from maybe a different angle. This week, we're going to kind of talk about what is in heaven that makes heaven so great. Next week, we're going to talk about what is not in heaven that makes heaven so great. Um, So this week, the message is entitled, From Eden to Zion. And we're going to compare the Garden of Eden with the heavenly city of Zion. Uh, if, If you remember the Garden of Eden in Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis, it was this paradise built for man. All right, and it was a paradise lost. Man sinned and was thrown out of the garden. Well, heaven is a paradise that's being built for God and for man. And so it is a paradise yet to come. And, you know, start thinking about humanity for a minute. After all that mankind has done, after how we've rebelled against God, how we've treated one another, murdered and abused, and, 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 and how we've stolen, and, and just the way we live our lives, how we've defamed the name of God, uh, even in the midst of that, after all mankind has done, God is still offering to bring us to a place that's even better than the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> so I want to compare and contrast <clears throat> Eden with what we call Zion. <clears throat> Eden, as I've mentioned, is this, this garden that Adam and Eve lived in. It was, it was a paradise. We, we see a reference to it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And it says, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And so, as I've said, Eden's this like paradise-like place. And kind of uh, back to the basics in Genesis, we know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are living in in rhythm with God and and everything's going well, but then they disobey God, they they sin, uh, and they were cursed, and they were cast out of Eden, and then they were barred from coming back in to the Garden of Eden. So that's Eden. Zion is uh, sometimes you'll, you'll read the name Zion in the Bible and it refers to a certain geographical location, a hill in Jerusalem. But other times, Zion, when it's used, is used to describe the heavenly city, God's city, the new Jerusalem, heaven itself. We see this in Hebrews twelve twenty two. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festival gathering. And so what we're going to do is just for a few minutes, we're going to compare Eden to Zion. And here's what I'm going to submit to you this morning. Everything lost in the first three chapters of Genesis is regained in the last three chapters of the book of Revelation. So Genesis starts with, with bad news. Mankind has sinned and trampled God. And, but Revelation, the, th- the last three chapters, talks about all that being reinstated to us. And so uh, I just want to give you three things that were in the Garden of Eden 
that will also now be in heaven in the, the city of Zion itself. All right, and they're very basic things. Number one, the first thing that we'll see that we're in both was a river, a river. Now, I love rivers. I'm, a, I'm an outdoorsman. I'm a fisherman. Uh, my favorite river on this planet is in Virginia. Uh, I grew up there, the Shenandoah River. Um, I spent the better part of my middle school and high school days walking up and down the river, fishing and skipping rocks and swimming and catching crawdads. I was like a river rat. I absolutely loved it. When you begin to study rivers and you begin to study them in correlation with civilizations, you, you, you find out very quickly something important. Rivers provide life. People move to uh, and, and around rivers, especially uh, in the olden days. Rivers provide right. They, they provide water. They provide nutrients all around the earth. They provide the, a, a drainage channel for all the surface water that rains. Did you know that 75% of uh, rivers drain, I'm sorry, rivers drain nearly 75% of uh, the earth's land surface? We know rivers provide life through habitat. Uh, animals flock to rivers. Many rare plants and trees grow by rivers. Ducks and otters and beavers make their homes on the riverbanks. Reeds and other plants grow everywhere. Other animals use the river for water. They use it for food. You've got birds that swoop down and catch fish out of rivers. In Africa, animals such as antelopes and lions and elephants, they go to rivers for water to drink. And other animals such as bears catch fish to eat from rivers. Many insects and mammals and birds use the delta for their home. River is used for transport. It provides travelers exploration and commerce and recreation. Farming. Farmers use rivers all the time. The, the soil by the river is always very rich and, and nutrient. Uh, and if they need water for their crops, they can irrigate it from the river itself. Rivers provide energy. They make things go. What I'm trying to get at is rivers equal life. Well, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there, there was a river. And we see the same river is mentioned in Zion, the heavenly city. <clears throat> Many people refer to this river as the river of life. So let me show it to you in the Garden of Eden here. Genesis 2.10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And so in, in Eden's original state, there was this river that flowed from Eden, and it went out and it brought life to everything. It watered everything. Well, we see the same thing in heaven, in Zion. We see the river of life. Let me take you to an Old Testament passage, and then I'll take you to a New Testament. Psalm 46, 4 says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And then in Revelation 21, or 22, 1, we read this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. That's why we call it the river of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I love that imagery. 
You have this crystal clear river in heaven flowing from God's throne. Uh, As I've already mentioned, I have put my foot in the Shenandoah River literally thousands and thousands of times. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Shenandoah River is considered to be the sixth cleanest river in the United States. And it's considered to be the cleanest river on the East Coast. Now, I've been in that river a lot. And yeah, it's clean, but it ain't that clean. Now, can you imagine, though, in heaven, this river that flows from God, the water is like crystal. It's clear how clean and how pure and how life-giving that river that flows from the throne that God sits on himself, how beautiful and magnificent that will be. Um, I don't typically ask you to, I don't give homework as a, as a preacher, but I, I want to encourage you this week to, to do some reading, uh, maybe in a, in a book of the Bible that you don't spend a lot of time in, the book of Ezekiel. And I would encourage you to, to read this week Ezekiel chapter 43 to Ezekiel chapter 47. It's awesome. I'm going to give you the gist of it. In those chapters, God gives the prophet Ezekiel Ezekiel a vision. Ezekiel is shown the temple in Jerusalem. And when he's shown the temple, the Lord fills the temple. The Lord actually calls the temple his throne on earth. He says, this is the place of the soles of my feet. This is the place where I will dwell in the midst of my people. Let me just show you so you, know, so you know I'm not lying. Ezekiel 43, 7. And he said to him, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I dwell in the midst of my people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name. In, in this vision that, that God gives Ezekiel, this river starts flowing out of the temple in in Ezekiel chapter 43. And then you get to chapter 47. You have this river flowing out of the temple, this vision that Ezekiel sees, and God says, now walk a thousand feet from the temple, and I want you to measure the water. And so he walks a thousand feet, and he steps in the water, and it's only up to his ankles. And then God says, now walk another thousand feet. And so Ezekiel walks another thousand feet and he gets into the water and it's up to his knees. And then God says, walk another thousand feet. And he walks another thousand feet and the Bible says it comes up to his loins, up to his waist. And then he walks another thousand feet and it's so deep that you, you couldn't stand in the river itself. And in this vision, you have this river that flows from the temple and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper as it goes. And it flows from the temple through what's called the Judean wilderness, the desert in Judea, just below Jerusalem. And as the river starts flowing through the desert, trees start popping up. Everything turns green. Flowers and fruit starts blooming. Animals and birds start migrating and start flocking uh, to, to the riverbanks. And the river makes its way in Ezekiel 47 to a place called the Dead Sea. Now, why do we call the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? Because it's dead. Nothing, there's, no, there's no organisms in there. And this river flows 
through the desert and brings everything to life. And then it hits the, the Dead Sea and it brings the Dead Sea back to life. And fish start swimming and fishermen start showing up and birds and animals are everywhere. See, this is a picture for us. Life flows from God. Everything that God offers is life-giving, life-breathing, life-changing. It's all about building up and, and, and promoting life. And on the converse side, everything that the devil has to offer us brings us death. No matter how good it might feel, no matter how good it might sound, no matter how good it might taste, uh, it brings death. But in heaven, there shall be no more death. Only life that flows from the throne of God, the river of life that goes right through heaven. So you have a, a river. The second thing you have in both Eden and Zion is the tree of life. The tree of life. Look at Genesis 2.9. <clears throat> and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, real quick, uh, the tree of life was not the tree that got Adam and Eve into trouble. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I, I get asked as a preacher a lot this question, why? If, if God is all-knowing, why would God plant a tree and forbid Adam and Eve to eat of that tree? It just kind of seems like God has set man up for failure. And so people ask me, uh, well, what do you think, preacher? And my response is, I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but I, I have a guess. And, and my guess is simply this. Love is not love unless there's a choice. We've got to choose whether we're going to follow God. We've got to choose whether we're going to daily pick up our cross. We've got to choose whether we're going to love him through thick and thin. So love's not love unless there's a choice. But the tree that we want to focus on is the tree of life that, in my opinion, in the Garden of Eden was no doubt watered by the river of life. And it's the tree of life that before sin, that's what kept Adam and Eve alive. And if they were still in the garden partaking of that tree, they would still be alive physically. But remember, after they were cast out of the garden, they couldn't partake of the tree because they couldn't re-enter the garden, and thus they begin to age and they died. Look at this conversation. I think it's a conversation between Jesus and, and God and the Holy Spirit here, the Trinity. In Genesis 3.22, here's what he says. After, after they've sinned and, and God says, here's what's going to happen, here's the consequences, Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God banished them from the Garden of Eden, banished them from the tree of life. I think we find ourselves in the same dilemma, like we all die physically because we can't partake of the tree of life. But in Zion, in this holy city of God, in heaven, we see the tree of life is there. 
And I'll just make this note before I show you a couple scriptures. Uh, number one is, where the tree of life flourishes, death doesn't stand a chance. Where the tree of life flourishes, where it is, death doesn't stand a chance. Remember Revelation 21.4, we go to that a lot, especially around funeral times. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. So let me, let, me, let me show you the tree of life in the book of Revelation 22.2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. And so on the banks of the river of life in heaven, you have the tree of life. Now, something that's caused a little debate, not I wouldn't say controversy, is, well, I thought there was one tree of life. But in this scripture in Revelation, it says there's a tree of life on either side of the river. So how can there be one tree on both sides of the river? And people have tried to explain it and, and talk about it. I, I, one commentator said that um, he kind of views it as like the California uh, giant uh, sequoia redwood trees, you know, the big giant trees where you can drive your car through it, and that there's this huge massive tree of life, and maybe the river is flowing through the tree, and so thus the tree is on, on both sides. That's one idea, but, but here's another. Here's, here, here's what I think, um, just my opinion. Uh, near the, the western edge of the state of Colorado, in the, what's called the Colorado Plateau, which kind of goes into southern or central Utah itself, uh, there's a lake called Fish Lake. And on this lake, there's a, there's a grove of very unique trees. It's actually a tree called the Pando tree. Has anybody ever heard of that tree? I've, I hadn't. So the, the pando tree. Uh, what makes the pando tree unique and why it has a singular name is it's not a grove of trees per se, but it's one single enormous tree. And what happens, is scientists call it a colony tree. The tree grows and sprouts up, and as its roots go through the soil, they begin to go down, and then they come back up and make these shoots and these sprouts, and other trees are formed. Now, it's one massive tree with the same root system with, with, with other trees. And I just begin to think to myself, if God can do that in Utah and Colorado, I'm pretty sure he can do that in, in heaven with the tree of life. The bottom line is the tree of life is there, and that is where we want to be. You know, the tree of life is a tree that never runs out of fruit. It never sheds its leaves in the fall. So I don't think we'll be raking leaves in heaven. Never goes dormant for winter, right? Like the, the gray, dark winter when it gets, you know, dark at 4.30 in the afternoon and everyone's bummed out. That doesn't go on because the tree is always there, always thriving, always feeding, always healing, always giving us life. So you've got the river, you've got the tree, and then to me the most important thing is number three, in both the Garden of Eden and in heaven, we'll have the presence of God. The presence of God. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, God's going to bring the animals. I'll let me just read it to you. Genesis 2.19, now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And I, I love that picture of, of Adam and Eve being in the presence of God, so much so that, that God, you know, creates this animal with a really long neck, and it's a really tall animal, and he brings it, and he's God's present in front of Adam. He's like, well, what do you want to call this thing? And Adam says, a giraffe? And okay, we're going to call it a giraffe. And, and you, so you have this rhythmic motion where Adam and Eve are in the presence of God himself, the absolute presence. We know in Genesis 3, 8, God came in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, and he couldn't find them. Why couldn't he find them? Because they were covered up with fig leaves because they had eaten the forbidden fruit, and, and everything went downhill from Genesis 3, 8 on. But the point I'm trying to make is that God was with them. His presence was there. So after the curse, instead of being in God's direct presence, they now have a degree of separation. We are not in God's direct presence. Yes, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, but we can't see him. We can't hear him. We can't physically touch him. Why? Sin. Sin separates us from God. Look at Isaiah, the prophet, 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So as I've said, I know God is omnipresent. And there are Sundays after I'm done preaching where I look out in the crowd and it is like, like, is this thing on? Did anyone hear? But then there are Sundays when I can look out and I can just feel the absolute presence of God's Holy Spirit descending on us. And, and that's great. And I'm not trying to diminish that. But don't you wish when your soul was weary, when your soul was troubled, when, when you needed someone to talk to, don't you wish you could just look into the eyes of God, that you could look at his face, that you could be reassured by his voice, that you could physically wrap your arms around him and hug his neck. All these things a child would want from their father. One day in Zion, we will be in the direct presence of God and be able to do those things. Amen. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Man, I, I long for that day. And when I say that, people get a little, a little weirded out. Like, what do you mean? You ready to, you have a death wish? No, 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 I'm, I have a good life. I, I love my wife, and I love my children, and I'm healthy. But man, I long for that day to be in the direct presence of God's radiant glory, to feel a warmth that's warmer than the sun, to, to see things that my, my eyes and my mind could never comprehend, to hear and to taste and to touch things that I never imagined possible. All of this made possible through Jesus Christ. 
You see, if we truly believe this, if we truly believe that heaven was this wonderful place, then death would lose total power over us. It, it, it wouldn't bother us one bit. And so if your life is good here on earth and you, you feel like you're living an abundant life, you, you, you feel like you know, your family's doing well, uh, your, your, your relationship with your wife, your, maybe you're, you have a good career, life is good, you, you have your health and things are going well, I've got great news for you. It's going to get exponentially better. And if you're here and your life isn't good, depression and anxiety rule, perhaps you're aging and like your week is basically booked from one doctor's appointment to the next and your, your health is failing and you, and you just feel miserable, it wears down on your soul, I've got great news for you. Your life is about to get exponentially better. You will be made perfect. God makes all things new. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever like booked an Airbnb that you saw online, like you were like, oh, this looks like a great place to say, stay and I'm, I'm gonna take my family on vacation and you get there and you're like, oh, wow, this was not what the pictures look like. This place is a dump. Like, uh, what are we gonna do? I don't know, has anybody ever, ever done that? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. Or, or how about this? H have you built some event up that you thought, man, this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be like the best day of my life. I can't wait for this to happen. And then all of a sudden you're just absolutely disappointed. It, it happened to me when my son, my oldest son, who is now 15, he was about five years old, and it was, it was every father's dream, or at least it was this father's dream, to one day take him to his first baseball game. And I was so excited. We went out and got him a little shirt and a little hat, and he got a little face paint, you know, the Braves, and we just went, it was at Turner Field. We went down to Turner Field, and the place was buzzing. The place was hopping, and, and, and he was looking around, and I was so excited. Father and son, this is going to be great, our first baseball game. And we go get hot dog, and we get popcorn, and we get, you know, frozen icy, and we get Coke, and, you know, we're coming up with all this stuff, and we, we sit down, we're there like a half hour before the game starts, and within a 30-minute period, he had devoured every crumb of food I've gotten, and before the first pitch, he looked at me and said, Dad, I'm bored, can we go? <laughs> I had built this thing up, this is going to be the greatest day ever. And it was just a huge disappointment. Friends, I, here's all I can tell you. I, I don't know everything that's going to go on in heaven. It, it is indescribable. I, I can't describe it, but I do know this. You will not be let down. You will not be disappointed. You will not grow weary. You will not be bored. I remember hearing Amazing Grace and there's a line in the song that says, when we've been there 10,000 years singing God's praise. And as a kid, I'm like, well, I don't even go to church and I certainly don't want to go to heaven because I don't want to sit around for 10,000 years singing. Um, we're, none of that's going to matter. That's, that's a man-made song. The things that God has in store for us is, is just remarkable. And it's the, this promise we have that God says, listen, you're going to die physically. You're going to die. All of us are going to die. But you don't have to die spiritually. I've made a way for you to spend eternity with me. <clears throat> 
there was a, a woman who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she'd only been given three months to live. And so she was kind of getting her affairs in order. And so she called her preacher and asked him to come to her house and discuss her final wishes on her funeral. And I've been part of a lot of conversations like that. And so she told him, hey, preacher, these are the songs I would like to be played at my funeral. This is the scripture that really speaks to me. Can you preach on this passage? I, I, I want to be buried with my Bible. She even picked out her favorite outfit to be buried in. And he, made, he took notes and he made all this preparation. And as the preacher got up and prepared to leave, the woman suddenly remembered something else. And she said, there's one more thing. She was so excited. And he said, well, what is that? She said, now this is important, preacher. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And he kind of shook his head and was like, well, that's weird. And she could see that he was trying to process it and he was, he was struggling and he didn't know what to say. So the woman explained, she said, in all my 50 years of attending this church, all the socials and all the potluck dinners, she said, I never, I, it happens every time. When all the main dishes are cleared and the main course is over, someone will inevitably lean over to me and say, keep your fork, because they knew it was my favorite part of the meal, because I knew something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. And so she said, so when the people see me in that casket with a fork in my hand and they ask, what's with the fork? I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. And friends, that's what I'm here to tell you this morning. Life isn't easy to, dif- to navigate through. It can be difficult, but the best is yet to come. Eden was this marvelous, special place created for, a, for man to be in paradise. But Zion, heaven, is a remarkably better place created for God and man to coexist together because the best is yet to come. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.